0: Hello, and welcome to In Conversation with the monthly podcast series brought to you by the team that produced the Global Cosmetics Newsfeed. 2022's theme is future proof. This month's topic is clean beauty, and I'm your host, Siobhan Murphy. Merriam Webster Dictionary defines the word clean as free from dirt or pollution, unadulterated, pure. Free from moral corruption or sinister connections of any kind. Spiritually pure. Thorough. Complete. Relatively free from error or blemish. Characterized by clarity and precision. Empty. Habitually neat. As the clean beauty category pivots from niche to mass production, marketing, retail and consumption. How can the cosmetics industry uphold the definition whilst also navigating the current shocks and stresses of the global economy? To help me answer this question and more, it is my pleasure to introduce you to this month's panel of experts. Hello to Lisa Gandolfi, Vice President Marketing at Innelex, a warm welcome to Bart Blairfield, COO and co-founder of Better Future Factory, and a warm welcome back to Mallory Huron, beauty, and wellness strategist at Fashion Snoops. Welcome, everybody. Hello. 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 Lisa, let's start with you. What are the social drivers that are impacting the future-proofing of product formulation at Inalex?
1: Thank you. Um, I think there are two social drivers that are really rising to the top recently, and that is authenticity and positivity so when we think about what the future of clean beauty looks like for our industry when we think about authenticity that's been at the heart of the clean beauty movement since the beginning and I think it's sort of been lost along the way Um, but that's really about being transparent about what you do well and what's good about your ingredients and your products it's also in the future going to be transparent about where you're improving, because we all know we're not perfect yet. And we can keep striving towards that as we learn more, as the scientific community more learns more. Um, and I think that's going to be really important for the longevity of clean to make sure that it remains a credible claim for consumers. Um, it's also about being an expert where you are authentically an expert. So, consumers want to be educated, they want to learn, they're hungry for knowledge. And Clean Beauty has this perfect space where people really want to learn more and they want to soak in that knowledge. And if we all sort of stay where we're experts and realize that as a community, we can teach a lot, I think we're going to help this. Um, Movement become more of a mainstay and not just a trend or a claim that's fleeting. And then the second one of positivity. I think if you read anything about clean beauty now, and if you just think about how Gen Z behaves and they are a future consumer, it's all about the positive. And so the scare tactics and the fear mongering that have gone along with clean beauty in the more recent past are gonna have to change. It's all going to need to become more positive, talking about the good things that you're bringing, talking about why clean is better for your consumer, um, and making it kind of fun again. So beauty needs to be fun. That's why we're excited about this category as consumers, and we wanna feel good when we use our products. And I think that positive message needs to be, um, or that positive social driver is gonna have to trickle into clean.
0: And Bart, for you, authenticity and positivity, are they the social drivers impacting the future-proofing of packaging design at Better Future Factory?
2: Yeah, so um, when you talk about social drivers that impact the the future-proofing of of packaging, Um, positivity, uh, yes. uh, In a way, uh, we see it as, as... there's been a raise in awareness on the on the topic uh, of packaging and especially if you talk about uh, the problems uh, with packaging over the past few years there's been more and more awareness on the public by uh, the the impact that plastic has on the environment Uh, when you talk about packaging you yeah you're also talking about the plastic most of the time and there's been a lot of attention for example on ocean plastic that people got more aware of like okay this is a big problem in our oceans we need to do something about it and uh, the driver that we see um, acting is that these people start asking questions to brands like so uh, i'm buying your packaging so what happens with it Uh, where does it end up is it recyclable does it also end up in the ocean and people want to have answers and they keep asking them to brands and brands say need to answer these questions uh, because they're their customers Um, but they don't know exactly how Uh, some of their packaging has been around for ages Uh, it works fine Um, but yeah is it recyclable Um, Yeah, they don't always know Uh, so they have to come up with a clear strategy on how to move forward and how to make uh, how to answer these questions so they have to make steps in order to make their packaging more sustainable or, or clean you would say it um If you look at from a more personal point of view uh, i i hope yeah i I guess you all 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 of you had this moment where you had this really beautiful piece of packaging some are even like works of art and everybody has kept a piece of packaging yeah just to keep it because it looks so nice and just don't just want don't want to throw it away and this pain of, of disposing packaging is getting worse now you know that it will be incinerated or landfill or even might have been uh, end up in the ocean um, because people have no clue what happens when they, what what happens with their packaging when they throw it in a the bin. They just hope for the best. So what we see and when we talk to people, it, we see that people just keep their empty packaging at home, uh, just hoping that uh, a solution might pop up in the future. And brands really should ease this pain um, of disposing packaging. Uh, so that's what we see as a, as, as a social driver. It's like a, the personal feeling of people, uh, but also that they start asking questions to brands. Uh, and It really is it's a driver for, uh, for innovation.
0: And asking questions, Mallory, is that what Fashion Snoops have been tracking?
3: Absolutely. You know, I completely align with what Lisa said. I think we're at a really interesting place with clean beauty right now. Transparency and accountability remain central consumer concerns. We see this at fashion snoops, not only within beauty, but across all markets. Um, But especially given, you know, the progress of the sustainability movement. One of the smartest things clean beauty brands can do to future proof themselves, just as Lisa mentioned, is to commit to radical transparency and honest accountability. The clean and green beauty and wellness spaces as we know them now have unfortunately become somewhat rife with misinformation and unsubstantiated claims. This has led to a lot of consumer confusion. And so to rectify this, we're seeing new transparency platforms and initiatives that are seeking to educate consumers and hold brands accountable. Um, you know, consumers are hungry for education, as Lisa mentioned. We you know, are seeing the rise of the skin-telligent consumer, who is more educated about skin care and what goes into their products than ever before. And so we're seeing things like Clear for Me's ingredient transparency platform, which is really unique, helping to demystify ingredient names and chemical compounds. We're seeing brands like The Ordinary uh, starting a pro-sulfate campaign in order to fight clean beauty misinformation that typically vilifies this popular cleansing agent. Um, And we're seeing all sorts of transparency platforms like Bluebird Software Platform that enables brands to tell authentic sustainability stories. So a lot of interesting uh, movements towards transparency and authenticity, which are huge to gain consumer trust. But you know, aside from transparency and accountability, another huge shift we're seeing right now is this desire to reconnect with nature, which we know experienced a huge growth over the pandemic. And it's really driving uh, the clean beauty movement into an interesting space. Uh, We're seeing this increased appreciation for agriculture. We're seeing a lot of seed to skin beauty products, recyclable seed to skin kits that either include seeds or are completely biodegradable. And we also know that eco-friendly sourcing has become a huge point of consumer concern. They wanna make sure that the products they're using are not only eco and sustainable, but also ethical. And I think that's a, a key component is that we're seeing the human side of sustainability begin to grow within clean beauty. And the idea that sustainability and climate change and pollution impacts you know, human communities is becoming a, a central focus. And so I think the future proof Uh, oneself as a clean beauty brand, it's essential to focus on the human side of this uh, issue as well.
0: And talking about misinformation, Lisa, what digital drivers are assisting the future-proofing of product formulation at Innolex?
1: Yeah, I think some of what Mallory mentioned is great. And there's just so much coming up in terms of new websites new apps that are lending information and i think that number one driver is just that access to information is skyrocketing um with that huge scaling within our industry of more access whichever platforms are rising up they need they need to have some uh, accountability and responsibility for the quality of their content and so i think it's very important when i think about a company like intellect, so we're designing ingredients. We know a lot about the safety of our ingredients, both human safety, environmental safety, and it's really critical for us that we're being very open with that information. We're sharing it with platforms as they're rising up very transparently because we think that quality of the content that gets to the consumer is one of the most important things. That's how we stop misinformation, is that we are open with our data and we are willingly sharing that information and not worried, as I think companies were in the past, about competitive concerns and holding everything very close. Now it's more about be as open as possible because that's how you do good for the consumer. Um, so we work with a, a number of different companies. One that we work mo- most closely with is Novi Connect. So they've been really great at being transparent with the data. They're very tuned into clean beauty brands um, as well as clean beauty retailers and helping them shape their platforms. And they're very focused on science-based data to populate their platform. Um, And that's one of the things that we look for when we're aligning with these different companies. Uh, But I do think it's really important also that as companies are coming up or NGOs are starting a website or app, I think everyone has good intentions, but we all come in with some bias as well. And we've also run into a few that we've provided transparent data to, and they decided that that doesn't match what they thought when it started, even though the data are the data. Um, and they've refused to to change based on the data. And so that I think is what's really scary to me as a scientist is that um, we could have these companies coming up that are perpetuating misinformation because they don't wanna change their own biases. So I think it's just really important that we continue to have conversations as an industry as a whole. Um, I think clean beauty has really taught us how to do that. It's taught us how to have sort of difficult conversations um, sulfates came up right sulfates aren't bad they are sometimes harmful to skin in certain use conditions and so it that's a great one where we've learned how to have the conversations so that we can actually do better by the consumers and I think we just have to do more of that in order to future proof
0: this particular category indeed and open access Bart what are the digital drivers helping to future-proof packaging design?
2: Um, yeah, the digital drivers uh, in packaging design, I, I have to agree with Lisa. It, yeah, One of the key things is access to information. Um, when you talk about packaging your design f- from a sustainable point of view, for example, you want to make your packaging better recyclable, uh, you need to know as a designer w- what are the, the, the factors you need to take into account. So you need to be need to know everything that a plastic recycler knows, for example. and uh, this has become much more available uh, the, the past few years. Uh, and there are really nice online tools that you can use as a packaging designer uh, where there's all kinds of information on how to make a packaging better recyclable. Uh, there's even tools where you can uh, input the data and get even a score out of it uh, so you also know on which points of your packaging you still need to improve. So this connection between a plastic recycler and, uh, and a brand or a packaging designer has become much more uh, accessible and that's really helping uh, to increase the, yeah, the, the quality in uh, recyclability for packaging uh, another thing we see in connection is, um, is connecting the customer to the brand uh, we see more developments into reuse and refill packaging and you can combine this in a great way with new uh, apps and software developments. Um, there's all kinds of ways to um, uh, connect with QR codes, RFID tags, for example. Uh, you're able to trace uh, all your packaging uh, along, the, along the supply chain. Uh, but you can also connect with your customers, for example, with the QR code along the way. Uh, you can tell them, provide them with new information on how to dispose the packaging uh, when they're finished the product. Uh, And this really helps to ease the pain of disposing the the packaging. Um, And we see that it can be combined also with uh, physical touch points, for example, where you can find your nearest uh, drop-off bin uh, or where you can pick up uh, your your packaging.
0: And QR codes, Valerie, are that a digital driver that Fashion Snoops have been tracking?
3: Certainly, we're still seeing QR codes um, being used uh, across beauty for a variety of purposes, like consumer engagement and education, but one of the biggest future-proofing digital drivers that we're tracking right now is biotech, and this is an area that we're really, really excited about at Fashion Snoops. We're seeing this as a natural evolution of the beauty movement, uh, and the clean beauty movement is really shifting to take a more scientific approach. We're increasingly recognizing that taking from the environment isn't always the most sustainable solution. In fact, often it's not, which is resulting in a wave of lab-based biotech advancements that generate better solutions for our skin and for the earth. You know, this movement started off, um, you know, several years ago with 100% natural is still best, Um, you know, and brands still to this day place a lot of emphasis on um, marketing how Um, what percentage of their ingredients are natural. But of course, we know that the ingredient may be natural, but if you're harvesting uh, an ingredient that is finite um, and unsustainable, it may be natural, but it's not sustainable and it's not good for the environment. So biotech, which if you're unfamiliar with the term, is a portmanteau of biology and technology. Um, Essentially, it's using technology and science Um, to better, uh, you know, natural solutions and to generate better natural solutions. So we're seeing brands like Tiny Associates that are working to expand consumer awareness and industry adoption of biotech solutions. Their skincare range uses biotechnologically made nature-identical molecules, which spare natural resources through safer, more potent nature-derived equivalents. And I think that's a, a key point. Uh, in favor of biotech and future proofing, clean beauty, is that these resources are finite um, and we also need to figure out uh, lab-based solutions to to these natural ingredients that we've been over-harvesting for years. And so this is where biotech can really come in um, and provide a lot of clarity um, and newness uh, to keep this category sustainable. But of course, uh, to your point, Javon, QR codes um, and and certain digital drivers are still being used. We recently saw Gear Lab merge NFTs and biodiversity with their Crypto Bees campaign. Um, This featured a unique collection of NFT bees, which will be sold to support the rewilding of 69 acres of Nature Reserve, which is super interesting. Uh, We're also seeing fragrance join in this post-natural biotech movement. Um, And we saw Cody recently announced their first production of their carbon captured ethanol fragrances in Spain. Um, So this is literally taking um, carbon, excess carbon from the environment and distilling it um, into fragrance, which without biotechnology would not be possible. So certainly that's where we're seeing this movement going. And I think it's coming at the right time because consumers, um, to Lisa's point, consumers are now, you know more receptive to these conversations they're more receptive to the idea of everything is a chemical chemicals aren't inherently bad Um, and what perhaps what chemicals have been vilified over the past few years within natural and clean beauty which you know we need to take another look at and see that you know they're they're safe under many circumstances and so we perhaps don't need to have these like banned lists that have been so popular and trending across um, clean beauty for several years now so I think technology has a, a, a real a real um, silver bullet quality to it and that it can really help keep this category um, sustainable um, and viable going forward.
0: Mm, indeed. So scientific approach, Lisa. What are the environmental drivers impacting the future-proofing of product formulation at Inelec?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I could talk about the entire podcast on this, so I'll, I'll try to keep it somewhat concise um you know when we talked about the social drivers and you know the recognition that people just are really care about the environment at this point in time because they've realized how much harm we've done and how we need to be very action oriented into the future and that's not just in the clean beauty space but that's across all things that we do um that really hits close to Home when we think about environmental drivers, and especially starting with the ingredient, green chemistry has been a principle, uh, a set of principles since the late 90s. It's not a new invention, but it's something that consumers are finally getting to hear about. Um, we're finally talking about it as an industry, even though a lot of, well, many manufacturers have been doing it for a long time. Um, But it's a really smart set of principles that respects the environment and is not focused on on trends. It's focused on thinking about how do we take core scientific principles and adapt them as science gets better. So as Mallory was just talking about with biotech, for example, within the green chemistry principles, there's a principle about using renewable resources. And in the past, that's been focused on plants sources, because that's the most renewable thing we could think of. But as we look into the future, it's not always going to be planned as being the most renewable thing. Science is going to advance, and we need to be thinking about how do we respect the environment, respect the earth, and move our science forward and take advantage of all of those advances. Um, And I think Unilever does a great job with their carbon rainbow as well, if you haven't Seen that, I think it's great to just look that up. Um, but they really talk about the range of different carbon types within this carbon rainbow and how do we move the world forward into more renewable sources of carbon that come from different places, not just from plants. So there's a lot to, to look forward to. Um, and it's something that, you know, at Intellects, we've followed the principles of green chemistry for decades. Um, I haven't been at the company all of those decades, but when I walked in a few years ago, it was like, oh my goodness, we're doing all of this great stuff. We need to talk about it. We need to let the brands that we're working with know they need to talk to their consumers about this because it really is a great foundation. It's diverse feedstocks, renewable feedstocks. It's safe processing, so safe for the people that are manufacturing the ingredients, which is really important. It's safe ingredients that are produced out of uh, following those principles. And it considers end of life, which is something that the industry hasn't really thought about until very recently. So it considers things like biodegradation and it considers things like aquatic toxicity. And those are things that are really important, but we've always focused on where do things start. We haven't really put as much emphasis on where do they end and what happens to them at the end. Um, And I think that's clearly becoming a a strong need in the packaging industry, as we've already heard about, Um, and I'm really interested to hear more about that, you know, on on this question as well. Um, But ingredients aren't immune from that either, even though they're not the, the visual thing that our customers or consumers see when they buy a product or use the product, the ingredient end of life is also really important. So, um, I think we're going to see more of that, which I'm really excited about. I think we're going to start to hear more about those principles and how they're being applied, and I think we're going to see great science come out in the future, uh, in the you know really in the near future. That's going to help the beauty industry and the clean beauty movement just go leaps and bounds towards its main mission of safety. Um, for both the human safety and both and environmental safety.
0: Indeed. So action-orientated principles, Bart. What environmental drivers do you see impacting the future-proofing of packaging design at Better Future Factory?
2: Yeah, thank you. So the environmental drivers um, that we uh, see uh, at Better Future Factory uh, if you talk about plastic, you're typically talking about oil. Uh, plastics are made from uh, fossil sources, uh, and this is finished uh, in a way, so we, we need to uh, get rid of it. And that's one of the key drivers of the circular economy of, for plastic, is that we decouple the use of plastic from oil. Um, and that we can do that in a, in a couple of ways, which is nice uh first of all we should m- put more emphasis on the reuse of plastics so uh, reuse packaging or refill packaging uh, or we can use recycled plastic for make packaging uh, or we can use bio-based sources or the renewable sources uh, like lisa talked about uh, and that's really interesting uh, if it's been done in the right way um, we see some challenges in this field uh, of course there are many uh, opportunities but they should be used in the in the right way to fit Uh, the local context i I can give you an example um it you you can make uh bio-based plastic um in in a number of ways you have different types of uh bio-based plastic as as well um but if you don't make the right choice it can also uh, lead to a lot of uh, uh, unwanted uh, consequences for example if you have a, a PLA plastic, which is a bio-based plastic, made from, uh, for example, sugar cane. Uh, if, if a bottle from PLA, for example, ends up with the PET bottle recycling, uh, it behaves in a totally different way. Uh, and it actually causes a lot of damage in a the, in the normal plastic recycling. And it's really difficult for the consumer to see what the difference is between a, a bio-based PLA bottle and a, a fossil-based uh, PET bottle. Um, so it has to be very clear for the consumers uh, what what this type of bio-based plastic is and how it should uh, should be handled, uh, and what we really see in practice is that a lot of bio-based plastics um, that are compostable, for example, uh, they don't compost uh, uh, at home, uh, but they need to be industri- industrially composted, uh, and the infrastructure for this is just not in place. Um, of course there are composting industrial composting sites but they remove all all plastic-like uh, materials uh, before starting the process uh, even the composable plastics are removed because it's not clear uh, for them to see what it is but it's also not clear for consumers uh, for example if a a, a coffee uh, capsule for example made from um, a bio-based plastic can be composted it's really easy for the consumer to also put a, a, an actual plastic uh, capsule in the in the compost. So it is, uh, uh, yeah, it can drag in a lot of unwanted plastics in the process as well. So that's why they uh, don't wanna have it. Uh, so if you if you work with renewables, uh, I think it's really great because it really helps to decouple from focal sources, but it really needs to fit the local context and it should be really clear for the consumers how to treat um, this type of plastic. Uh, because and the infrastructure should increase as well. Because now, the, the, the um, where, for example, PLA, bio-based plastic, uh, the recommended way of end of life is incineration, uh, and that's that's too bad because it has a great promise, uh, of course, for the future. Um, so that's a, that's a challenge that we face with uh, with renewables. Uh, but we definitely see a lot of innovation in this field. Uh, but also, the legislation needs to. Uh, Pick up on this field um, because it needs to be super clear uh, how to deal with this.
0: Indeed. Mallory, action orientated principles, is that a driver at Fashion
3: Snoops? Absolutely. And, you know, in terms of future proofing um, the clean beauty category with environmental drivers, um, I'd like to just bring a uh, point back to something I mentioned at the beginning, which was this increased interest in agriculture and farming. We're seeing a global farming shift to become more planet forward and sustainable with brands utilizing modern farming techniques and processes for ingredient sourcing, product innovation, and more. Uh, You know, we did a uh, beauty shift a few years ago called Self-Sufficient, which called out this use of, uh, you know, home gardens, um, you know, compost heaps and more consumers are getting into um, farming and more interested in farming themselves. And so this is really kind of uh, trickling up to uh, beauty brands. We're seeing French vertical farming company, Jungle, partnering with Fragrance House Furmanac for the world's first collaboration between a perfume house and a vertical farm where Firminac, um is growing and sourcing around 20% of their ingredients. We're also seeing beauty specific farms pop up like Brooklyn Rooftop Botanicals, which is New York City's first and only rooftop beauty farm that grows and processes over 50 botanicals for beauty product formulation and creation. Uh, There's so many um, more excellent examples, but I think all this speaks to a consumer desire to get more in touch with where their products are coming from. And the more they know, the more they are personally invested in the sustainable aspect of, of their product creation. And of course, tying into that, Uh, is reducing waste, Um, as Lisa and Bart have both mentioned. Reducing waste is a key initiative for brands as consumers prioritize sustainability and ethical, earth-friendly processes. The anti-waste movement has been going strong for several years now within consumer consciousness. Of course, upcycled ingredients are still very much on the rise. We're seeing examples like Mustela, who utilizes upcycled whole avocados um, from Peru for their multi-use avocado bomb, which is very interesting. Um, And, of course, uh, a lot of upcycling going on uh, in restaurants in the food world as well. Um, Other anti-waste initiatives are pointing to a new circular product development. Um, that are emerging because there's a lack of data on how much product actually gets wasted by brands, which continues to be a point of concern for consumers. And we're seeing brands become more proactive and responsible and take this pain point into their own hands. We recently saw Galine, a skincare brand who offered shoppers the opportunity to purchase products that are closer to their expiration date at a 70% discount. Uh, We've seen similar initiatives with brands offering perhaps products that are the packaging is damaged but the product is still perfectly fine Um, but offering that at at a reduced price that it doesn't go to waste we're also seeing more zero waste refillable products for items that are traditionally single use Uh, izzy recently launched their zero waste glossy lip butter that ships in a reusable shipper with no outer packaging and can be sent back and refilled again and again um, and so beyond refillable packaging, of course, also biodegradability is a huge concern, which ties into the agricultural movement, because of course, it, it's all well and good to be interested in soil health and regenerative farming, uh, but you can invest as much as you want into that but if the uh, the pollution and the excess packaging is still being fed back into the earth, it's going to do no good. So biodegradability is a huge area of innovation we're seeing. Um, Ardell's Eco Lashes collection recently featured consciously crafted fake lashes made from 100% sustainable fibers that come packaged and biodegradable um, paper carton with soy ink. So we're really seeing these initiatives um, as biodegradability, not just for packaging, but for formulation as well, uh, becomes mainstream with concepts like ocean de- biodegradability. Um, somewhat of a marketing term, but you know the idea that um, it's safely biodegradable um, in ocean environments as well has become an important um, uh, point for consumers.
0: Indeed who is regulating this? Lisa, what are the regulations that are are aiding or abetting the future-proofing of product formulation at NLX?
1: Yeah, it's a great question of who is regulating this. Um, I think Europe has done the most for this industry when it comes to regulation in a positive way. So really leading the industry and you know, because we are part of a global industry, the rest of the world will tend to follow. So we, we get the benefits globally of the regulations that Europe puts in place. Um, yeah, you know, I think they did a fantastic job with the cyclomethicones regulations that went into effect uh, a few years ago. And that really changed the industry um, for the better. And, and we're seeing a similar... Shift, albeit maybe faster, with the upcoming microplastics regulation. So that's not even fully in effect um, across the ingredient sphere yet, but companies are very focused on it. And I think what, what is different now about how this the microplastics regulation is being uh, viewed and approached when we think about product development pipelines is that people are really trying to understand what's behind it um, and really focused on the positive impacts that this regulation will have. Um, And biodegradability has become one of the number one asked questions uh, from our customers to Intellects as an ingredient company. Um, And one really positive change that I can speak to very personally is Because we became, or because we were beginning to be asked by our customers about the biodegradability of our ingredients, even though we know from the chemistry they should be biodegradable, we went back to our portfolio and realized we had a data gap. So while we could say, based on the science, it should be biodegradable, we didn't have the data. And so we embarked on a multi year project to test every single ingredient in our portfolio for its biodegradability profile so that we had the actual data in hand and i think that's something that the regulations are are doing a good job of positively forcing customer companies to do so we've now tested 98 percent of our portfolio we've got a little bit more to go Um, but that data we are also sharing openly and transparently with our customers with some of the companies we talked about earlier when we talked about digital um, digital drivers and just having the data, understanding the importance of filling those gaps is a great outcome of these regulations. Um, it's an interesting world when we talk about regulations and globalization because one of the challenges that we hit is with regulation in China. So. China's a huge market, everyone's very interested to have their products there for a lot of very obvious economic reasons. Um, But because of their resistance to innovation, it creates a really interesting challenge, a really interesting dynamic for global companies. So while we're moving all of this forward and where we're finding there are whole ingredient classes that are not biodegradable or that are toxic to aquatic life, That opens the door for innovation in ingredient design. However, those innovative ingredients can't be used in new products in China because of their regulation um, without animal testing, which we're not going to animal test. So we have this really interesting globalization versus regionalization dynamic where we have certain regions promoting future proofing with, their new regulations and we have other regions kind of holding back to the past so it's a really interesting aiding and abetting dynamic that we have in the industry Um, but i think what we will see over the next five to ten years is that most companies will choose in favor of the new regulations in favor of going towards the future with innovative ingredients that are better for the environment
0: indeed and talking innovation, Bart, what regulations are aiding and abetting the future proofing of packaging design at Better Future Factory?
2: Yeah. So for uh, the regulations, um, yeah, this is uh, I like this question. This is one of the first things I usually discuss with our clients because um, how we see it is that the regulation um, is is not future proof in a way. Like if you wait for regulations to kick in, uh, you're you're too late. Uh, And so the yeah regulations uh, um, yeah you you're 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 looking backwards in a way. So you want to look forward, uh, and I think it's important that uh, brands take this action. And we see a lot of initiatives in this field as well. Uh, So for example, uh, a good example is the New Plastics Economy by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Uh, They look ahead and they define how how plastics can be part of a circular economy uh in the in the system that works. Uh, and they connect with all kinds of brands, so global brands, uh, and they uh they share this vision and they make a com- commitment towards these goals. Uh so it's not driven by g- regulations, but it's looking ahead and coming up with a shared vision uh, and making commitment to that. And we think that's really important. And most of the brands that we work with um uh, they they take the step to sign up for these commitments as well. To feel confident um, in the strategy that, that we've developed together. And another example is to to look ahead instead of waiting uh, waiting for leg- legislation. Uh, things that are definitely coming up with packaging is that like you need to incorporate recycled content in packaging. Uh, we need to recycle more plastic, so there's going to be like a threshold of 25 or 30 percent recycled content for packaging. Um, it's not it's, it's not always there yet, but uh, you can already see that big brands already took steps years ago uh, that they started buying stakes in plastic recycling companies in order to secure uh, the future su- future supply of these uh, recycled materials. And the global situation is changing rapidly, of course. Our materials are becoming more scarce, longer lead times. So by taking stakes in these recycling companies, uh, big brands like IKEA, Nestle, Unilever, L'Oréal, but also Coca-Cola. Uh, they they partly own plastic recycling companies in order to to be prepared for the future and this is something that's yeah uh, that that we see happening
0: indeed and mallory what consumer trends have you been tracking regarding regulations
3: well i think um regarding the consumer uh uh perception of clean beauty um certainly i think regulations and making regulations more consistent uh, is one of the biggest challenges to future-proofing this category. As Lisa mentioned, there's massive inconsistency globally and also just regionally uh, with regulations, Uh, but I'm hopeful that we're going to see a real crackdown on unregulated terms going forward. We're seeing this rise um, of greenwashing, uh, which is the idea that brands are using uh, organic and clean and sustainability claims um, merely as marketing language to sell products without actual action or initiatives to back them up. Um, because of course, this area is, is trending and uh, you know, marketing your product as green um, will encourage it to sell. Um, but of course, this is contributing to immense consumer confusion and misinformation. And I think we're reaching quite a point of frustration with consumers um, regarding clean beauty. Uh, It it keeps changing very quickly. You know, first organic is good. And now we know that the term organic essentially means nothing depending on where you are in the world. Um, So can that be trusted? What is green? What is clean? What is clinically tested? You know, so I think uh, there, this is leading to a point where consumers quite, don't know what to trust with clean beauty products, and also um, even consumers, these intellectual consumers who I spoke about earlier, who are very educated about skincare. um, It's even difficult for proactive uh, consumers to remain up on this terminology. So I think there's going to need to be a real intervention um, and regulation of terms. Uh, Of course, the question is by whom and how. Uh, And I think you know, to bridge the gap uh, to that happening, what we're seeing is a lot of these certifications where we have independent uh, groups who are authentic and invested in sustainability and into making the industry a better, more trustworthy space, uh, creating certifications like Soil Health Certified, for example, um, Ocean Ocean Health Certified. Um, And so I think we're seeing a lot more of these certifications pop up on packaging for brands who want to convey a level of trustworthiness and, uh, you know, credibility uh, in in a space where it's very difficult to, you know, solidify or agree on what these terms mean. Uh, Of course, it would be nice if there was any kind of Crackdown on on social media for these terms as well uh but it's just very difficult and I think you know we're still seeing a lot of confusion um and it's leading in some cases to a lack of trust for the clean beauty category which is unfortunate and which is one of the biggest risks to this category going forward I think so certainly certifications and some sort of you know, agreement and cooperation would be great. We are seeing several brands who are coming together, you know, in, in the spirit of mutual benefit to, you know, come up with some agreed upon terms um, and agreed upon initiatives going forward. And I think that's going to be key. You know, it it, it is to the benefit of all clean beauty brands when there is uh, an established agreed upon. Uh, definition for terms like organic, green, clean. And of course, well, there are those definitions in certain companies, uh, in certain countries, um, like, for example, across Europe, where regulations are very strict, but certainly in the United States and elsewhere, uh, these terms aren't regulated or agreed upon at all. So this will be very crucial going forward to, you know, establish trust in this industry.
0: Indeed. Predictions. Finally, Lisa what will the clean beauty formulation look like in 12 months time?
1: Um, I think it looks very similar to what a clean beauty formulation looks like today um, in spirit, right? So there, there will continue to be innovation in the actual ingredients that come in. I think as an industry, we've We've really identified sort of the bad actors. Um, we've identified, you know, some ingredients that have a mixed view. Some company policies uh, reject them. Some include them. That's again going back to that subjectivity that Mallory's talked about. But I think at the at the core and where clean beauty really started was about safety for consumers and safety for the environment. And That I think survives, and I think that what we'll actually see over the next decade is more clean formulations, more clean products, and almost clean as a cost of entry into the market. I think we're getting really close to that tipping point where consumers just aren't going to accept things that don't follow the original or or sort of true definition of clean um, where it was founded. I think the claim of clean beauty or using clean beauty as a differentiator is absolutely at risk. I'm, I completely agree with what Mallory was saying. There's been so much dishonesty and so much fear mongering um, that I think that claim is really what's at risk. I think the actual ingredients that have been developed in response to the need for clean beauty or in response to this trend the way that formulators formulate differently today than they did five or 10 years ago, I think all of that lives. I think it's really the claim that's at risk. And if we if we don't start to be responsible with it as brands and ingredient makers and retailers and NGOs and even regulators, we are putting it at huge risk. That the only way to safeguard it is to get to this common and accepted definition. I absolutely agree with that.
0: And for you, Bart, what does clean beauty packaging look like in twelve months' time?
2: Yeah, that's a it's a good question. Um, twelve months uh, sounds like a long time, but it's actually a really short time when you talk about packaging development. Um, projects can easily take uh, twelve to uh, uh, one to two years in order to develop a packaging. Uh, so the things you will see coming up already started uh, over a year ago. Uh, so what we are working on is, um, yeah, what you definitely will see the coming year is some really inspirational uh, examples of uh, closed-loop recycling. So where we take back uh, old packaging of brands and transform it into new product that fits our portfolio and it's really uh, like iconic uh, and helps to, uh, yeah to get uh, the customers along. Uh, What we also see is there will be more and better refill at home solutions. Um, uh, The development has already been going, for example, um, refill pouches, Uh, but we see that brands feel more confident now to make bolder steps. Uh, So what we typically would see is that you would switch to a refill pouch uh, and then decorate it completely, making it really bad recyclable again. Uh, So now they take more, on bolder steps in order to yeah take a really minimize and clean uh, uh design for the pouch as well uh, which is uh good recyclable again and that's where we definitely need to go uh again next to the refill home we also see the the in-store refill bars um they've been delayed obviously due to uh the covid situation uh but you will definitely see more of them popping up uh the coming years and that's really, uh, that's really fun. That's uh, it's great to see that uh, brands take this step. Um, another thing, like, if you compare it to the past, uh, that uh, I should, um, yeah, how would you say it? I <laughs> have uh, a story of like a, a marketing manager once told me that, that her former former boss, said so that people have to drag their knuckles over the ground by carrying their, pa- their packaging or product home. And this is really the old-fashioned way of making a product more luxurious by adding more weights make it bigger uh, and this is something that that's that's not for this time anymore so that's that we need to change but then the question is what is the new luxury how do you make a product look without making or adding weight or adding material and like one of our client CEOs says like uh, i believe that this, the, the the future of luxury is, is sustainability but what does it look like and then that's what we're working on and that's really interesting to explore. Uh, how 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 does it? How do you make it into practice? Uh, it's not necessarily in in adding materials or in the types of materials, but also the story around it and, and how you prepare your package for for the end of life and how you, you take your consumers along. So uh, if your customers feel that you've taken into account all steps and you um, uh, you really take the hassle away of disposing, for example, the, the anti packaging people just want to feel like they're doing good and you can do that in many ways Uh, and if you do it in a good way you can make the product feel more luxurious uh, as well Um, so that's what you will see the coming years uh, at least from us Um, some innovations in this field
0: and lastly mallory which trends in clean beauty does fashion snoots believe will have traction in
3: the next 12 months Well, certainly um, a a growing awareness of what I spoke to before the idea of the growing agricultural movement, soil health, ocean health, you know, blue beauty is still not going anywhere. Uh, But in terms of what the category will look like in 12 months, certainly we hope that there's perhaps some evolution in the consumer adoption of new routines. Um, And by that, I mean, you know, we've seen products like Waterless solid form uh, hair care um, and beauty products um, grow. We've seen, you know, tablet biodegradable um, products grow. So I think we're we're entering uh, th- that space where there needs to be a shift in more consumers uh, being willing to adopt uh, a new routine change in the name of sustainability. Of course, I don't mean to imply that the sustainable problem needs to fall on the individual consumer we know that's you know not not true um it's it's on major corporations but consumers do drive uh what what brands are are uh producing and what what new products they're they're trying out and so i think there needs to be or i'm hopeful that there will be uh, more adoption of uh, these products that are, there are some really excellent sustainable options, but there's been a bit of reticence on behalf of consumers to, to adopt them. You know, speaking to the refill stations, uh, I think th- that's an excellent option, but we need to see consumers who are going to incorporate that into their lifestyles, into their daily routines, and it's going to be a, a bit of an adjustment. But I think the more these things become normalized, uh, the more uh, the more they'll be adopted and then there'll be more um, innovation within that space and it'll help to really address the problems that these products were created to solve. Um, I think that's one. I certainly think ongoing education uh, will be another key area to watch over the next 12 months. Certainly we've seen, especially on platforms like TikTok, a huge amount of education, uh, of beauty insiders and... Um, you know, industry experts who speak to what does organic really mean? What does clean really mean? I, I work at this factory for this brand, and let me show you what goes into making our products, and here's what we mean when we say this and that in marketing. So I think that's really going to help um, consumers to get a grasp on a clean beauty, you know, in, in lieu of the more official regulations and agreed-upon terms that we were speaking to earlier. And also aligning with that, um, uh, brand responsibility is going to be key. I mean, consumers can be as responsible as 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 they can um, individually, but really it is going to fall to major corporations and brands to lead the way. And, you know, we've seen a lot within clean beauty especially, we've seen a lot of innovation um, from indie brands Um, And there are several responsible larger brands, but I think we're going to see more cooperation and we're going to see need to see more, um, you know, uh, 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 teamwork, essentially, on behalf of this industry in order to make it a space where everyone is in it for the common good, essentially, which is, you know, has been a, a key point of sustainability, you know, the the sustainability movement in general—the idea that this is for the future of our planet, the future of our children—and so, in order to make this, you know, a sustainable sustainable movement, we're going to see need to see more cooperation from brands going forward. And with that,
0: I would like to thank my guests Lisa Bart and Mallory for joining me today, and to you for listening.